welcome to Pursuit Church Podcast, where we give those far from God the opportunity to pursue Christ. We are so glad you are here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe God has a word for you through today's message. Today I want to read from three different passages of Scripture 1 Peter chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, 1 John chapter 4. If I'm not mistaken, I, Paula, who we've been missing, I think her birthday's on July 4th too. And so if you're watching, Paula, I want to wish you a wonderful, happy birthday this week from Pursuit Church. We've been missing you, but we hope you have a, a wonderful birthday. That one's easy to remember since it's on July 4th. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, very simple verse that we've got to remember all throughout this message today and forever. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. This morning, I want to speak on the subject, Christ is better. You may be seated. Christ is better. Today I'm going to speak on the pursuit of holiness and why and how we can abstain from sin. Uh, at first it may seem a little heavy uh, just because I want to make a case for holiness and then I will do my best in giving the church at least one practical way on how to kill the sin in our life. Before we go on, I want to share just a couple personal thoughts that I had this week when I was putting this message together about how Christ is better. Thought number one, it's interesting how the on and off switch to God's promises in our life are contingent on if we are living for him or not. Maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal sometimes, but if we were to all look at an exhaustive list of the promises of God, I believe that we would all be quite surprised. And I believe that we would all be absolutely convinced in that moment that Christ is better. And we would always make sure that the on switch was turned on to God's promises. Uh, thought number two, may we not risk taking 
a glimpse of what the world or what the devil is offering us, even if it is the whole world, without having first stamped upon the eyes of our own heart, Christ is better. I do not think that sin killing calls for a stronger will, but rather a greater view of God. I don't think people necessarily even have sinning problems, but rather seeing problems. To always behold the beauty of God is to quiet the voice of temptation and to gradually put to death the deeds of the flesh. One simply does not choose the world or anything that the world or uh, the devil may offer them when all of eternity is in their sight, for nothing compares to Christ. When we have a greater view of him, that is, Christ, we sin less. And so may this stamp upon the eyes of our heart be always permanent now and forever. Christ is better. And I'll go into that in a little bit more here in a few moments. But now I'm going to go into the message today. At first, again, it may seem somewhat heavy. I just want to make a case uh, for holiness. Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And might I add the person who's dressing in such a way that's so revealing, that causes others to commit adultery, is just as much committing adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus says something again kind of similar in Matthew chapter 18. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. These are graphic verses. These are, these are strong words, not, not from Paul or Peter, or James or John, uh, but this is from the Lord himself. Jesus is saying these words, heavy words, strong language coming from God himself. For some, this is difficult to hear. Uh, for many, this is probably some scripture that they would like to overlook or they do overlook or uh, they certainly pretend that uh, Jesus never said. That, I, that if I'm caught up in a sin and, and if my hand is involved in some sort of sin and I can't seem to stop that sin rather than go to hell, cut my hand off. 
or if my feet are taking me somewhere that, are, that is sin, somewhere that I shouldn't be rather than go to hell, cut one of my feet off. Or if my eyes are involved in sin and if my eyes are constantly looking at things that they shouldn't be rather than go to hell, pluck out one of my eyes. That's what Jesus said. That's what scripture says. These are the very words of Jesus himself clearly in the book of Matthew. Now today I'm not saying to take these words literally and and I'm not telling you to go pluck out your eye or cut off your hand or cut off your foot. Don't, don't go do something and say, pastor told you to do that. I'm not telling you to take these words literally. But what I am wanting us to see and what I, I believe Jesus was trying to show us is the seriousness and the severity of sin. And the destruction that sin brings and that sin, though it be so prevalent in our world and so prevalent on the internet and so prevalent on our TVs, it's still no laughing matter. And what Jesus was saying was that if you do have some sort of sin in your life, you need to cut that off. You need to cut off the sin. You need to pluck that sin out. And then he reveals the severity of sin by stating that it would be worth cutting off that which is causing you to sin than to keep sinning and then to find yourself in an eternal hell. But the reason I I don't necessarily believe that Jesus was saying to literally go cut off your hand and literally go pluck out your eye or literally go cut off your foot is because sin is not a matter of the outward man. Sin has to do with the heart. And unless the heart is changed, the sin won't stop. And the adultery won't stop and and the lust won't stop and the love for money and the greed won't stop and, and our problem with sin will not cease. And so it's the sin that needs to be cut off. It's the sin that needs to be plucked out of our life and Jesus portrays it this way because he wants us to understand the seriousness of sin. So have we really ever considered the significance of sin? That it is sin today that has caused all of the death upon the world. Billions and billions of deaths. It is due to only one sin that we all now face death. It is due to sin that there's now cancer and diseases and sicknesses and pain and Turmoil and tribulation and bad nights and bad days. Sin is so ugly and so offensive to our holy God that everlasting torment is a just and proper response. Sin is so ugly and so offensive to God that it justified the flooding of the entire earth and the destroying of nations and the wiping out of cities. Sin is so ugly and so offensive that Jesus described it in the parable as the unpayable debt of 10,000 times 20 years wages. 
Sin is the reason why God himself had to get involved in Jesus, would have to carry a cross, and he would have to face the pain of death and the agony of death on that cross. And so now maybe then we can understand why this Jesus, that Jesus in Matthew 18, that Jesus that said those words, that Jesus who died in our place on the cross and he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, he would face death on our behalf, why he would play such significance on sin. For he's the one that paid the price. I'm fully aware that it's become very unpopular uh, in Christianity to preach uh, so crystal clear on sin or to preach so straightforward about sin or to preach the need for holy living or to preach that maybe there's still things even in our lives as born-again believers that God does not condone and that God is not happy with. And maybe we hear a lack of this kind of preaching for preachers themselves are living in sin Monday through Friday or because churches don't want to hear it or pastors don't want to lose their congregation or pastors don't want to offend their tithe givers and offend their church and make people unhappy. Or maybe because the pastor doesn't even have a real burden for the souls of that congregation. Or the pastor does not understand the full weight and the full gravity of sin and thus does not share the same burden as God. Or maybe the pastor simply does not want to be canceled by culture because our culture is brutal. Or maybe he doesn't want to upset those around him. Maybe that includes his own friends and his own family. Maybe even his own spouse. So he doesn't preach the full truth of the matter. But how can we preach the gospel without preaching the need for holiness of life? And how can we overlook that command to be holy as he is holy? And how can we skip over the fact that Paul was speaking to believers? He was speaking to the church when he said, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul Paul the Apostle was bringing up the possibility that a born-again Christian could turn back to his old ways, such as like a dog that returns to its vomit, and that it becomes the responsibility of that born-again Christian to put to death the deeds of the body. Paul was saying to born-again believers that they will perish and they will face the wrath of God and that they will miss out on the kingdom of heaven if they don't fight their flesh. But if you live by the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live and then you shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, he said. And so it now is obvious that it becomes our responsibility to war against and to fight against this thing called sin. 
and to develop just as God has a healthy hatred towards sin. John Owens famously said in the 1600s, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so what I infer when I read what Paul says in the New Testament, especially in the book of Romans, is that what the new birth brings about is an embattled, not yet perfect, spirit-empowered, persevering, Christ-loving, Christ-treasuring, sin-hating, new being in Christ. Where the battle's not yet finished and, and the battle's not yet complete, but it goes on so long as we're living in this flesh. That's why Paul could admit that he had fought the good fight. And so the battle is very real and God calls the Christian to fight. And I don't read in the Bible that it's the will of God for us just to rehearse that simple gospel to ourselves each and every day. And that's all that we do. We just keep telling ourselves that, Daniel, you're loved and you're accepted and you're forgiven and everything will be okay because there's now no more condemnation and judgment. You don't have to worry about anything. We have grace now. You can look unto the cross, but you don't have to pick up the cross. You don't have to carry the cross. You don't have to die daily. I just can't come to the conclusion that that is the mindset that God wants the born again believer to have. In fact, I think it could be dangerous and quite delusional that we may just continually repeat in our mind that no matter how we live or what we do or if we continue in sin and in unholiness, his mercy will just cover it. His grace will just cover it. Hebrews 10 verse 26 says that if we go on willfully sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And so I have to believe that Jesus didn't die on that terrible cross just so that we would receive forgiveness of sins, but he faced that bloody onslaught of the cross so that through him we as mere spirit-filled believers could also conquer our sins and that we would become overcomers. And that we would be more than conquerors through him who loves us. But it requires a daily committed fight. And so Jesus didn't want us to stop at justification, but he wanted us to go on to sanctification. Be ye sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he who rejects holiness 
And he who refuses to put to death the deeds of the body, and he who refuses to fight does not reject man. He doesn't reject the preacher. He doesn't reject the pastor. He may uh, stop going to that church, and he may go to a different church where they don't preach like that. But he doesn't even reject the church, any church, but he rejects God, the giver of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord tells us, it is now on us to pursue holiness. That's my case. Heavy, I understand. It's a heavy, heavy word. That's my case for holiness. God calls the church to be holy and that we should make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, the Bible says, nobody will see the Lord. So how do we do it? How do we abstain from sin? How do we face temptation? How is it possible to be holy? Well, it is possible. The same Jesus who died on the cross because nobody on earth at any time in history has ever been perfect and without sin is not now calling us to something that is impossible. God does not demand of anybody something they cannot fulfill. Now, we cannot fulfill his definition of holiness on our own, but we can fulfill his definition of holiness with his help. It is not an impossibility. Now, God is absolutely holy. God is perfect. We're not. You're not. I'm not. We're not perfect. We are sure not absolutely holy. But that is still the goal for which we strive. We will not be perfect. We will never be completely holy so long as we are living in this broken flesh. But that should not become my excuse to sin. We are still to pursue holiness. We're still called to be overcomers. And when we fall, we ask for forgiveness. We get back up. We keep striving, church. We, we keep working at it because we want to be holy as he is holy. That simply is the pursuit of holiness. Now, I always like to remind the church that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that when we fall, we can get back up. That when we fall, we can get back up, church. That when we fall, we can get back up. And we can come boldly to his throne of grace and receive the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace that we need. But we have quit the pursuit of holiness and we have simply rejected the will of God in our life when we have willingly allowed the grace of God to become a license to sin. Grace doesn't give us the license to sin. It gives us forgiveness and mercy, but then it gives us the power to overcome sin. As Christians, we must continually strive for holiness. And, and by striving, church, God sees us holy in his sight because of what he accomplished at the cross. In other words, you've got to get this. He sees us as holy in the process. He sees you as holy in the process. So we shouldn't say we can't be holy. We shouldn't say that it's not possible because we can all be holy in the process. We can be holy while we're growing, while we're developing. 
If we're allowing the Spirit of God to work in our life and pick us up and mold us and instruct us and empower us and work on us, that, my friend, is holiness. That is the pursuit of holiness. And so we're not perfect, but we're striving. And by striving, we're pursuing holiness. And so holiness is not impossible. But maybe today you're thinking to yourself, it's still impossible. How can I ever measure up? I've tried before. It's too difficult. It's too hard. The point is to not stop the pursuit. The point is not to be perfect, but the point is to pursue. Stay pursuing. Keep pursuing. But if we still think to ourselves that holiness is impossible and overcoming an addiction is impossible and, and the sin that we've continued to be def defeated by for much of our life is not possible to overcome, our problem is not sin. Our problem is not our flesh. Our problem is not that we have some generational curse over our family or over our life that can't be broken by God's power. Our problem is not that our addiction is just a little bit more unique and complex and difficult than others. But rather, church, I believe that we have a seeing problem. We are unaware of the depths of God's goodness. And so we have made the desires of our heart and the pleasures of, of mere temporary things in this world more desirable than God. We have treasured other things over God. We simply do not understand how much better Christ really is than our daily temptations. We're not fully seeing, we're not fully understanding how much better Christ is than those quick fixes that we always run to on a daily basis, but always leave us empty and needing more. So I believe it's a seeing problem, not a sin problem. Paul said in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not seeing the full glory of God. Therefore, we're falling short. Our minds are coming short of knowing God truly. And when we have this limited view of, of God or, or no view of him at all because of the distractions in the world and, and the distractions of the enemy and, and maybe we just already have so much sin in our life that our view of God becomes so minimized, sometimes down to nothing at all. And when we have no good view of his goodness and no good view of his pleasures and no good view of his glory, we treasure him less in our heart. And that is when we so easily fall short. 
And so I believe, church, one of the greatest ways, not the only way, but one of the greatest ways to pursue holiness, one of the greatest ways to kill that sin in our life is having a better view of Jesus and his wonder in our life and simply realizing that there is more joy in his presence than anything in this world. There's more joy and pleasing my God than anything in this life in realizing that scripture is true and it says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore and that in his spirit and in his presence I have all that I need I, I have all that I could possibly want and hope for It's about gaining a better view of Christ. It's about knowing the fullness of his glory. It's about not allowing anything to get in the way of that glorious view of Christ in our life. And I was thinking this week, you know, when we first came to Christ, we had a great view of him. Oh, some of us, we had an awesome view of Jesus. And, and we said to ourselves, we're going to throw out everything that, that he doesn't like. And we're going to clean up our lives. And we're going to live for Jesus. And we're going to stay on fire for him. And we're going to love him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul. But as time has gone on and, and, and I've gone through some things and I've had some sicknesses and trials and pressures and, and, and tribulations, things have gotten in the way of my view. And that's the devil's goal. Just take away the view, obstruct the view. But somehow, somehow, church, if I could get back to having that full, crystal clear view of Christ in my life, I believe every single thing would change again for me and my family and my church and my marriage and my relationships. I believe everything could change. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. I'm almost finished. Paul said the reason why some aren't sanctified, the reason why some are still stuck in that cycle of sin is because they don't know God. They don't know him. They may know about him, but they don't really know him. They don't have a good, crystal clear view of him. But if they did know him, it would change. If they really knew God, everything would be different. If they really had full knowledge of his goodness and his beauty and his infinitely satisfying spirit and his precious truth, they would not still be lost and wondering and sinning like they always do. If they just had a better view of Christ, if they just had a better understanding of his love and compassion and satisfaction and fulfillment, they without a doubt would know Christ is better. And so if we could just know God again, if we could just really know God again and get a new and fresh picture of that infinite loving Christ upon the cross, 
Church, I believe what we need is to take another look upon the beauty of Christ and him being crucified and why he did it. And once we get that beautiful image in our life of Jesus dying for me and Jesus dying for you and you and you, that that's the God who loves us. That's the God who cares for us. That's the God who saved us. Oh, he's very stern on sin, but he did everything that he needed to do to save us. He didn't want to leave us. He wanted to share his heavenly home with us. And if I constantly behold that beauty, and if I constantly behold that glory, and if I never let go of who God really is, that is infinitely good and infinitely beautiful and infinitely satisfying and infinitely compassionate and infinitely valuable and infinitely forgiving, I'll have found myself not falling in the same cycle of sin and not fighting the same battles, but rather overcoming the world and finding victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. All because I have maintained a good view of his glory and his pleasures and his joy and his peace and his comfort. Therefore, I have no reason to turn to any other idol or to fall into temptation because at all times, church, I am always beholding the beauty and the glory of Christ in my life. And so in conclusion, I say to the church, if we would just have a full view of the all-satisfying God, I am always certain and always convinced that in every circumstance, in every situation, at all times, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what's happening in life, that I understand, believe with all my heart that Christ is better. Let's stand this morning. Christ is better better the truth of the matter is that God will always be more desirable than anything in this world whether we understand that or not and if there was anything I wish we would understand and leave here believing with all of our heart it's that Christ is better. I didn't come today just to say, you know, be holy because God's holy. I, I didn't come to tell you that we need to quit sinning because uh, that's what Christians should do. I didn't come to yell at us. I didn't come to condemn us or judge us. I didn't even come to just repeat those same warnings that Jesus gave in the gospel of Matthew because that doesn't make you love God. That doesn't make me love God. Screaming at you doesn't make you fall in love with God. Just repeating the harsh realities and harsh warnings about sin doesn't fix the sin problem. But I've come to tell you and come to remind you today that nothing in this life is more desirable than Christ. And it's the greatest truth. If we would just hold on to this one truth, Christ is better. 
And if we would just get a better view of him, an honest view of his goodness, and behold all of his beauty, it will take care of so many problems. It will take care of so many struggles, so many temptations. It will help us in our trials and in our loneliness and in our pain. And church, I don't speak to you today as though I've already attained or or am already perfected. I'm just as broken as you. I'm just as desperate in need for God's mercy. I'm just as in need for Christ as you. None of us are perfect. None of us have already attained. But we must keep striving. And we must keep pursuing. Why? Because we are so in love with this Jesus. And why do we love him, church? Do you remember that verse? Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he forgave me of all my sins and he removed the penalty that I was deserving of and he tore that veil that was between me and God. I couldn't reach him, but now I can reach him. I can feel his presence. And he did all of that church in hopes that some people, maybe just one, would fall more in love with God than the things of the world and decide in their heart once and for all that Christ is better. Christ is better. Christ is better. And so if you already have this and you're on the pursuit of holiness, thank God for it. You're striving. You're pursuing. You're getting God's attention. Stay on the path. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Let today just be a reminder. Keep your view open to God at all times. Behold his beauty. But if you're not where you should be or not where you could be, that can all change. Church, if you would just get a better view of Christ and him crucified. If you would just begin to behold his beauty today. If you would reach out to him and just begin to fall in love with him all over again. Say, Jesus, I need your presence today. I need your presence. I need your love. Lord God, I need a good view of your beauty and your goodness and your compassion and your kindness. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. For more information about Pursuit, visit PursuitChurchAR.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week.